inability to consistently beat playoff bound teams. You know, nobody yeah. wants that smoke in the postseason. So I think a lot of those teams in the East are, are pretty happy that the Islanders aren't competing for a postseason this year. Uh, with how compact the schedule has has been, it's just left them with no legs in certain games. Newsday presents the Island Ice Podcast with Andrew Gross. And welcome to Island Ice, Newsday's New York Islanders podcast, episode 132, one that hopefully will make it onto a Mount Rushmore of Island Ice episodes. And hi, I'm your host, Andrew Gross of Newsday. You can find me on Twitter at agrossnewsday. And please check out all of Newsday's content at newsday.com backslash sports. On this episode, I'll be joined shortly by Anson Carter, who, by judging by uh, your your fan reaction uh, that I see on Twitter and uh, other messages I get, Anson Carter has been a welcome addition to the Islanders broadcasting crew for MSG Networks. And among other topics, Anson discusses how he was at first uh, a, a bit hesitant to start working Islanders games just because he had no background with this team and, and really wasn't sure how he'd be received. And then, of course, I'll get to your questions in Andrew's answers. But first, I did mention Newsday's website because before we get to hockey, I just wanted to briefly vamp for Newsday's baseball preview section that is out and available online. And though I've been caught up covering the Islanders this season. I did carve out some time over the past few months to work on a baseball Mount Rushmore for the Yankees, Mets, and all of the 28 other MLB franchises. Yes, uh, top four players for each of the franchises. And uh, again, you can find that at newsday.com backslash sports. Uh, I wanted to give a big shout out to everybody who worked so hard on the baseball preview, most notably section editor Dave Whitehorn and Gus Pabon, uh, who came up with the really cool looking uh, graphics for the Mount Rushmore project. As for hockey, and as I speak, the Islanders are three-fifths of the way through their last road trip that takes them out of the Eastern time zone, at least for games in Dallas and St. Louis. As I speak, they are 13 points behind the Capitals for the final Eastern Conference wildcard spot, and the double whammy on Tuesday, Wednesday, that double whammy almost certainly ended whatever long shot hopes either the Islanders or their fans were still clinging to uh, with regards to a miracle playoff push. First, on, on Tuesday, the Islanders lost 3-2 in Dallas. That dropped them to 7-22-2 against teams uh, that were holding playoff spots at that time, and that being a major issue with where this season has gone wrong. Win there, uh, a win in Dallas would have moved the Islanders within nine points of the Capitals, who had lost four of six. And then with the home-and-home home series against the Capitals the last week of the regular season, maybe then you can, you can start fantasizing about a, a possible path to a, a miracle playoff push. But But the Stars beat the Islanders, and then the next night, the Capitals beat uh, the slumping Lightning 
4-3, and that widened the gap uh, over the Islanders to 13 points, uh, a bad four-point swing there for the Islanders. And heading into the Islanders game against the Carolina Hurricanes on Friday night, any combination of 13 points uh, lost by the Islanders or gained by the Capitals will officially eliminate the Islanders and snap their run at three straight playoff berths. Still, if you're trying to look at this in a glass-half-full way, the Islanders are 11-4-1 since March 10th, and there would have been some teams who, given where the Islanders were on March 10th in the standings, or even as late as March 28th, when they were still 19 points out of a playoff spot, uh, there, there would have been some teams who, who just would have packed it in. And the, and the Islanders have been very vocal about, standings or not, that they were going to take pride in finishing as strong as they could. And that, that is commendable. Uh, again, as I mentioned, the only or the one problem with all that and this 11-4-1 streak uh, is, is an inability to consistently beat playoff-bound teams not named the New York Rangers. Uh, back-to-back losses to the Bruins and Lightning uh, in March hurt. The loss to the Stars hurt. The shootout loss in Washington uh, on March 15th, it, it, it hurt. They all hurt. Um, th- there's always been this sense that if the Islanders could just get into the playoffs, and, and remember, they just got into the playoffs the past two seasons uh, before starting their runs to the NHL Final Four, um, there, there, there was a sense that if the Islanders could get into the playoffs, they would they would be a dangerous opponent in the East. And uh, I, I, I'm sure there are teams uh, or GMs or players or, or coaches in the Eastern Conference who are going to make the playoffs who are, who are really happy that the Islanders are not among the eight or not going to be among the eight, and they, they don't have to go through Long Island. But not being able to, to consistently beat the more elite teams has been a problem every bit as much as the wacky schedule and the COVID-19 outbreaks. And it all ties in, you know, some of those games where uh, they, they lost to playoff contenders, they were certainly dealing with COVID-19 outbreaks or came at weird times during the schedule when there were either, you know, too few games or too many games. It, it, it really is all tied in and 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 you can certainly see uh with how compact the schedule has has been it's just left them with no legs in certain games and really i'm I'm thinking particularly of that 2-1 loss in philadelphia on march 20th uh you, you talk about a game that hurts that that certainly is one now, the, the Islanders will wind up playing their final 38 games of the regular season over a breakneck 69 days. And if you really think about it, that, 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 uh, there's, there's no way to sustain, uh, you know, just solid hockey over that kind of a breakneck schedule, even when they're going well. Uh, there, there was that one week where they played five games uh, Sunday to Sunday, and, and the last Sunday was a uh, 
uh, an afternoon game. So you're, you're playing five games in seven and a half days. And, and the NHL and, and hockey, that, that's just not sustainable. Um, the Islanders played a franchise record 17 games in March. They have 16 games in April, this Friday and Saturday, uh, I'm talking about the, the Carolina game and then the uh, game in St. Louis to conclude a, a five-game road trip. That will mark the Islanders' sixth set of back-to-back games since February 26th. Now, now, the Islanders actually got in a practice in Carolina. They, they went to uh, the Hurricanes practice facility in Morrisville, North Carolina, which is about uh, 10 miles outside of Raleigh. It's actually very close to the Raleigh-Durham airport. Um, that was the Islanders' first practice, uh, first practice session since March 8th. And I'm not including morning skates in that, but you're talking about a month where because of the schedule uh, and where it was either you're playing a game or there's a day in between games where the players are just trying to rest and recover to be able to play the next day. So you're, you're essentially talking about a month where this team went without being able to schedule a practice. Uh, the, the point is, some of where the Islanders are in the standings is their own doing, but some of it really seems completely out of their control. And when, you know, in, uh, in what is it, uh, three, four weeks, when we really start delving into evaluating this regular season and what happened and where it went wrong, you, you do have to take that into account, the stuff that was out of the Islanders' control. And I know how much uh, Barry and uh, Barry Trotz and Lou Lamarillo talk about there are no excuses, and the players echo that. And again, that is all commendable and true. But looking at this realistically, uh, th- there are some explanations for, for why the Islanders you know, sort of veered off the track that many of us thought they would be on this season. And we'll get into some of that uh, as well with Anson Carter, who was good enough to call in to chat from his home in Atlanta on a day off in between his broadcasts. So uh, here's my chat with uh, Anson Carter, who's doing Islanders games for the MSG Network. And as I said, just absolutely uh, really happy to be joined by uh, Anson Carter, who I uh, got to meet when I was covering the Rangers way back when. But he's uh, he's uh, an Islander broadcaster now and uh, very happy to have him. Anson, how are you doing today? I'm doing great, Andrew. Thanks for having me. Uh, you know, when you invite me to come on the Islander podcast, you have told me years ago I'd be jumping on an Islander theme podcast <laughs> I would say, you know, put down whatever you're sipping on. But, you know, after my experience this year, it's been great. I've been having, I've had a blast. It's been awesome. Uh, just what were your expectations? And, you know, I, I know all the feedback, as I was telling you uh, the other night at dinner um, in, in Dallas, the, the feedback that I've gotten on, on you on the MSG broadcast has been fantastic. I'm just wondering, you know, what your expectations were and, and how kind of how hard was it as a broadcaster to, to try and slip in and, and you know, uh, be a relevant voice for this team? It kind of came out of nowhere, uh, to be honest with you. 
you know, after we'd left, uh, I'd left NBC Sport after the nice run we had there, and I'd called college hockey games for NBC Sports. I'd called um, playoff games for them, regular season games for them. So I was very thankful they gave me the opportunity to get that experience under my belt. But then when the rights went to Turner here in my, you know, hometown, not my hometown where I live, currently where we reside uh, in Atlanta, I didn't really plan on traveling this year at all. You know, we have our Wednesday night games and second half of the season, we started adding some games on Sunday. So traveling wasn't something that I really thought about. And then when I had received the call from MSG, because I knew Henrik Lundqvist had just retired and Hank, I had the feeling they wanted to get in the TV business. I saw it just made sense for Hank and Steve Valiquette to do the Ranger games. I just thought I'd be all set just, you know, doing my, my Turner gig. But then when MSG came calling about, you know, needing someone to help out a little bit with Islander broadcast, uh, to be honest, I was, I was really hesitant. <laughs> you know, I told my agent, I was like, well, I never played for the Islanders before. And even Knapp, um, our producer, when I talked to him and I worked with Knapp with the Rangers before, I said, you know, I'm, I'm not quite sure if I feel comfortable with this because usually when you have analysts that, you know, work for, say, MSG and Islander broadcast or Ranger broadcast or Devils or whatever, whatever team it is, it's someone that has a, a connection to that team. But the way Knapp approached it with me and even the people from MSG, Jeff Filippi and um, Bob and, you know, people like then Chris, they just said, you know, you're approaching it from a, a national broadcaster's perspective. So you're someone that's been covering the game on the national level. So it isn't something you should really worry about. So when they, they said that to me and they, you know, proposed it that way, then I was able to relax a little bit. And because there was a lot of pressure not playing for the Islanders. <laughs> I'm, I'm not going to lie. But, it, but, I, but I'm familiar with Shannon's work. I've been familiar with Butch's work. Butch actually coached me in Utah for a couple of games. Myself and Scott Niedemeyer, we were holding out. So I knew Butchie a little bit. He was amazing. And I'm familiar with Brendan's work, too, because I've worked national games with him as well. So I just thought it's a great opportunity to work with super talented people and, and have some fun. Well, no, and I definitely think it brings a kind of a, a fresh perspective, you know, almost, almost sort of, you know, outside eyes into the situation. Um, just on that, you know, what, what have your impressions been of this team? I know as we get towards the end of the regular season, it hasn't necessarily gone the way that the team expected at the start, but from the games you've seen, you know, as you sift through kind of the layers, what, what do you make of this team? Well, I'm also not going to lie too. When I said I'd go ahead and do these games, I talked to John Ledecky, uh, one of the owners there for, for the Islanders. I, I was pumped because initially when I had that initial conversation with John, I thought the Islanders were a team that had a chance to win a Stanley Cup championship. Yeah, yeah. So that's another thing, too. I was like, well, I get to you know watch this team and cover this team and be a part of this broadcast of a, a great team that has a chance to win a deep run. You know, I don't think anyone anticipated starting on the road the way they did and getting off the start they got off to with the injuries and, and COVID and what have you. So that was also you know part of you know my decision and to um, be a part of the broadcast and, and help out as well. But you know, from the outside looking in, the owners and, you know, I'm like every other person in the business. I spend a lot of time speaking to other owners and GMs and coaches and, and managers about different teams around the league to stay abreast of what's happening. And I think everyone was kind of surprised with what happened in the first half of the regular season for the Islanders, because I think everyone is so, actually I know everyone's so well-respected uh, from Lou to, to John to Scott 
um, at the very top to, to Trotsky and then how hard the players play and how hard the guys buy in. So I was a little surprised with how the season started for them. But and, and even though they haven't played to the level that everyone is expected, the Islanders are still so well respected around the league. Mm-hmm. There's so much respect of how they play and how they compete. And no one's going to feel sorry for them. <laughs> you know <laughs> what I mean? And then they're going to approach it the same way because they know that if all the stars had aligned, this is a team that, that could have been competing in the postseason. And we've seen some of the games the second half, even the last month. You, you've got a little taste of why teams are happy in the East that the Islanders aren't probably going to make the postseason. I mean, they're not completely mathematically eliminated just yet. It's going to be very tough for them to get in, but like the games against the Rangers, the head-to-head games against them, you know, the way they played Dallas, like they play that stingy defense and players that got off to slow starts, like Anders Lee recovering from his knee injury, um, Brock Nelson, a little bit of slow start, Paul Mary, slow start, uh, Parisi coming over, a bit of a slow start. And then the way you're seeing them play now, uh, no one wants to face that. You know, nobody yeah. wants that smoke in the postseason. So I think a lot of those teams in the East are, are pretty happy that the Islanders aren't competing for a postseason this year. Yeah, no, I, I think that's a great point, Anson. I, I've been talking about that with with some other people. That the, the Islanders have to be the one team in the league where uh, opposing GMs are just thanking the stars that it, that their team doesn't have to meet the Islanders in the playoffs this season because the Islanders will just wear you down over a seven-game series. Um, you know, the Islanders have obviously been playing – uh, more to the the level that we've expected uh, uh, of late, probably since uh, early to mid-March. How much of that is them just, you know, all the players essentially being healthy and they're getting into a rhythm of playing a lot of games? But but as you know, sometimes late in the season, teams that are out of it, you know, uh, they're, they're, they're kind of playing free and easy. And, and we see this a lot late in the season where, you know, non-playoff contenders go on this run. Can you kind of separate how much of this is real and how much of this is just, you know, sort of a late season, uh, you know, uh, experience, basically? I think it's real because when I analyze the teams around the league, it's the teams I'm not really buying the fool's goal or the young teams. Yeah. Those are the teams, those young players that are playing free and easy where they don't really have the pressure that they you might have on you in October, November to get off to a good start, to try to make that drive towards the postseason. A veteran club like the Islanders, they're a team that's built for the second half. You know, they're not a team that's built to play October, November hockey. And, and hockey's totally different, uh, the second half of the season versus the first half of the season. It's loosey-goosey. It's wide open. There isn't so much attention to detail the first half of the season. You see a lot of guys racking up a lot of points, you know, the first half of the season. Then the second half when teams start to dial in and become focused, and play more consistent 200-foot hockey game when that rink starts to shrink and the battles become more intense and there's less room on the ice, that's what this team is built for, and that's how they're built to play. So I'm not really that surprised that they're having success you know, this time of the year because that's how they're built. Yeah, They're not an, a run-and-gun, up-and-down type of hockey club, and they're not a bunch of young kids either. And you saw Anaheim fall off a little bit. You've seen Detroit fall off a little bit because those are young teams that, had young players that are excited first time around the league. They're pumped to be in the National Hockey League, eat lobster, drinking you know, the best wine, being on the road with the guys finally once again. And then the reality sets in, the grind, the National Hockey League kicks in, and then it becomes a mental game. 
And that's where you see the veteran players really start to rise to the occasion. So, and it's no different than training camp. We see the young players, usually the guys that are flying for the first couple of days of training camp. And as camp goes on, the veteran players start to rub their game up. I don't think there's any difference when you're comparing the Islanders to say some of these young teams that have gone on this run the last month or so, that because they're, they got veteran players in this team that, that know how to play at this time of year and their bodies and their minds are conditioned to playing later in the season. For, for, from your background is, you know, how, how athletes think, um, you know, presuming that the Islanders are, are not going to make, you know, it, it, that it's not going to end in a playoff berth this season, how ticked off, or how motivated will this group, because it's coming back for the most part next season, how motivated is this group going to be, you know, when training camp opens in September? Well, you always hear coaching staff say that, uh, you know, you, you make the playoffs in the, the first month of the season, right, how you play. And sometimes players listen to that, and sometimes it goes in some players' ears out the other. But this year is a perfect example of why that's so true. You, know, you you could make the playoffs or miss the playoffs based on your first month of the season. So I have no doubt that players will come in dialed in. And for the most part, knock on wood the rest of the season, hopefully guys will come in pretty healthy. Uh, I don't know what's going to happen with players and the season. Usually you have guys going to the knife when the season is over. So I don't know exactly who has any sort of health issues like that. Besides someone like, say, Cal Clutterbuck. Right. They could have to recover from surgery. But everyone else should be relatively healthy and have that clean slate uh, as of right now that I know of um, come September. So I think guys will be chomping. They played a lot of hockey, too, the last couple of years. So these players will be a lot more fresh than they have been in recent off-seasons to get a full summer of training in. So I, I think you've got a bunch of proud guys in that room that understand that this team wasn't blown up. They understand they're a new building. So I don't really see uh, – I didn't see motivation for – the owners or, or Lou or Trotty to blow this thing up because you still want to have butts in the seat in that brand new building. Yeah. Now is not the time, I don't think, to rebuild just opening up a new facility the way they did this year. So you want to give your fans a chance to experience this new building with a really good hockey team. So I think that's motivation too for these guys with they're gonna carry the play that they've had the last, you know, couple months of the regular season or they're gonna hopefully look to try to carry that momentum into next year. Because it's a lot of pride. You don't get to the National Hockey with having a significant amount of pride and self-awareness and an ego. And when the season goes the way it has gone for the Islanders, it's a blow to all three of those. So yeah. I fully expect the guys to be fully motivated this offseason, start their training early, and come back in September ready to go. Yeah, and, and I would have to think that it certainly spoke to the group when Lou didn't make any moves at the trade deadline, that he, as you mentioned, that he sort of kept the group together. I, I, I would think that that would work to the group's advantage, you know, going into next season. Yeah, because there's no turnover. <laughs> <laughs> they, they know it. You know each other. So you don't have to worry about whether Parisi could play with Barzell. You know he can if he gets yeah. an opportunity. I don't know if that'll be the case or not, but you already know that's a possibility. And, and Cal Clutterbuck signed that extension. Parisi signed that one-year deal. I mean, it wasn't for huge money. But it says a lot that they want to come back. Mm -hmm. That's two less, you know, two fewer new bodies, new faces. You got to sort of get assimilated into your lineup because you know what these guys bring to the table. And then you also have your roles too. It takes a while for players to figure out their role in the team. I think for this club right now, uh, most of the roles are pretty much set in stone. I think the one thing they're going to have to probably address is try to get a little bit quicker 
up front. Um, but I'm sure, you know, Lou might have a few tricks up his sleeve <laughs> and, you know, try to figure out what has to happen there. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I, I was going to ask you where you saw the biggest area of need, whether it was, you know, a, a puck moving defenseman or like you said, a little bit faster, a little bit more uh, scoring uh, help, help and depth up front. If you, if you had to, you know, bolster this lineup in one way or the other. I, I would say both. I would say both. I would say when I watch this team, the one thing that they're missing, honestly, they, they could use a Devon Taves back there. Yeah. They really can. Like, he looks pretty damn good playing in Colorado with Kale McCarr. Yeah. You know, they, they could use a, a puck moving defenseman like that because you saw that last game against Dallas when Noah Dobson made that outlet pass. So I believe it was J.G. Pajot, I believe it was, a long stretch pass where your D-man could help you play fast too. Because I've always taught, and everyone's been taught this when they first lace up the skate, the puck moves faster than any player could skate. <laughs> so if you have defensemen that could skate, but not only get back the puck quickly, but move that puck and pass laser beams on the tape for breakout passes, then your team starts playing faster. So having players in the back end that could help generate that team speed, I think that would certainly help this club. But also getting maybe another guy that could you know, fill the net I think that would certainly help this club too, but it isn't as big of a need if Brock Nelson comes back and scores 30 again, Anders Lee comes back and scores 25 again, Kyle Palmieri comes back and scores 20, you get Prezi getting up in the 10 to 15, you get Barzell maybe if he gets in the 20 goal range, then you're not really talking so much about needing goal scoring. Anthony Bovilli, if he could crack 25 goals, then you know your goal scoring is okay because they defend well enough and they've got Sorokin and they've got Varlamov that could shut the door if they have to you bring up barzell and uh, you talk about scoring up front what have you thought about how barzell has played specifically with oliver wallstrom i know the fans all season have been clamoring for these two to be put on the same line together how, how do you think the results are i know zach parisi is a big part of what that line does with you know because his legs never stop and he, he's just so consistent in what he does. But do you see real chemistry with Barzell and Wallstrom, or are they really still trying to figure each other out there? I think they're still trying to figure each other out. I, I think you have to sit down with Oliver Wallstrom. I think right now he thinks he's just a shooter. Mm -hmm. And when you're just a shooter, you're really static and you're, you're waiting for the puck to come to you as opposed to getting the mindset that you could make plays in all situations, not just a shooter, but you could also be a guy that could make plays and, and carry the puck and get the puck to Matt Barzell. You know, I think right now you have just the, I get puck, I shoot puck mentality. And then you, you kind of find yourself just sitting around waiting for the puck to come to you. And then you've got Matt Barzell now, who I wish would shoot the puck more. He's got the puck on his stick for a lot of the, you know, the night. But if he would be able to play more give-and-go hockey – then I think he's more of a threat than two. But that also comes with a guy like Wallstrom looking to make plays, you know, instead of just thinking to be open and, and shoot the puck all the time. So now you've got Wallstrom looking to make plays. That makes him more effective. You've got Matt Barzell thinking he's going to give the puck up and get it back again. That makes him even more dangerous. And I like to see Matt become more aggressive with trying to have more of a shot mentality too, because then he's going to become the double threat. Teams right now can play off of him because they know he's always looking to pass the puck. But once he starts shooting the puck, Connor McDavid went through this. I think he's got 40 goals now. Once Connor McDavid became a threat to, to score, 
then his passing really started to open up. Sidney Crosby went through that same exact thing. He scored 50 goals. He became an even more dynamic passer. I mean, you've got Zach Parisi. You know, he works and works and works. I want him to get a little bit more effective when it comes to finishing then, too. Because you can't fault his work ethic. Right. You never, ever fault his work ethic. But you want to see him finish, too. You want to see him try to get rewarded. And I think to start the season, I think he was trying too hard. You know, and then that, that, that happens. I've seen it around the league, guys trying too hard. They're, they're squeezing the stick. I saw the same thing happen with, with Suter in Minnesota the first half of his regular season. He was trying too hard. Joe Pavelski, it's not Minnesota, sorry, Dallas. Yeah. He went to Dallas. Joe Pavelski, same thing happened to him when he signed in Dallas. I know the folks in Dallas are probably wondering, is this guy done? <laughs> you know, what's happening here? And then he just, he just relaxed and the play starts to slow down. But these are, these are veteran players that really care. So you, you can't tell them not to care so much because that's part of who they are as individuals that makes them great athletes. But I, I thought I saw that with Zach when he came over. He wanted to be such an impact player right away to prove that, you know, Minnesota dumped me and they shouldn't have dumped me. And, you know, that, that's a big blow to a guy. He's yeah. a big ticket in Minnesota. Had a lot of success in his career. So I feel like now he's playing his game and success is following him because he's able to relax a little bit. He's not really squeezing the stick that you wouldn't expect a guy that's been around for so long that would happen, but it happens to everyone because you, you care. You, you want it so badly. Yeah. You know, I, I actually had a, a chat with Zach Parisi at, at practice uh, here in uh, Carolina today and almost word for word. That's what, that's what Zach was saying about the start to his season that he just, he, he, he tried way too hard to, to validate, the fact that, you know, he was on uh, an NHL roster and he deserved to be rather than just play being the player that he knows he can. So uh, (laughs) you're you're absolutely spot on with that. (laughs) Yeah. I've I've seen it time and time with guys. And I I don't know, like sometimes you kind of wish that someone just pull them aside and have a conversation and say, Hey, (laughs) settle down, relax, take a deep breath. I mean, I saw it in Toronto with Mitch Marner in the postseason, and that's why I'm curious to watch what he does, you know, this year. I, I, I could rattle off a bunch of guys in the league where even they signed that huge contract, Darnell Nurse, like he was trying to be someone who he wasn't in Edmonton. So you, you want players just to relax, just exhale. It's going to be okay. And sometimes it just takes someone just, just telling them that. Let's yeah. go to lunch. Let's go to dinner. Let's, have this con- let's grab a bottle of wine. Let's, let's have this conversation. Because I don't think – players realize they're doing it until someone brings it to their attention they're like oh you know what you're right yeah. <laughs> i guess that did, was the case did 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 anyone ever because uh, you you moved for you know around a couple of times and you came to different teams with with big expectations did you ever have anyone say that to you when you got to a new spot i, I didn't no i didn't and you know i was a guy i i had pretty good self-awareness when i played yeah so i kind of knew and it was also, I think that's what made me so effective where I didn't let the moment become too big. It was always just going out and playing hockey, but I could always recognize and identify teammates right away that I felt like that wasn't the case. Mm-hmm. And I always made a point to have a conversation with a guy like, hey, let's grab lunch, let's grab dinner. You know, just, just relax, like <laughs> just settle down. Like I would say that your, your give a blank meter is, is going off the charts right now. Just, just pull it back a little bit and you're going to be okay. <laughs> and I, I found those conversations, they, they work with guys because 
they don't realize that they're doing it because we're, we're so competitive as athletes. You don't you just you want to be the best. Right. And you're always telling yourself, I need to work harder. Someone's going to take my job. I need to work. I need to work. I need to work. But working harder isn't necessarily working smarter. And there, there's a big difference there. Yeah. You know, I, I watched Zach. Zach was expending so much energy around the ice. And people will be like, yeah, he's working. But is he working smart enough, though? Like, I appreciate him working. No one ever said Zach Parise is a lazy player. But he was creating so much extra work for himself when he didn't need to. And then now you're seeing him become more efficient out there on the ice. He's not working any less hard, but he's being more efficient. He's being rewarded for it. Right. Hey, listen, Anson, this is great stuff. And it's been absolutely great to reconnect with you now that you're back. Uh, you know, you're doing some Islander broadcasts. And like I said, I know the, the feedback's been fantastic. So uh, thank you so much uh, for your time and your, uh, your, your knowledge here. Yeah, thank you. No, it's been great to reconnect as well, too. And yeah, I couldn't be more pleased to to be part of the Islanders broadcast from Napa. I was talking about and Joel and Charlie and, you know, Bobby Mills and Shannon and Brendan and, and Butchie. Everyone's been so welcoming. The Islander fans, Islander Nation have been awesome. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I, I, I just didn't know because in the studio, we'd always laugh. There's some fan bases that you're just like, oh, my God, they're psychos. <laughs> they're nuts. <laughs> you know, you know they, they get all over. You say one bad thing about it, they're like, oh, my God, you're the worst analyst or broadcaster ever. And we always joke about it because we don't take it personally. I mean, it's, it's our job. Like, we're, right. we, have, we don't have a Dodger fight. We just want to see a good game. But the Islander fan base is always one of those fan bases who are like, oh, my gosh, they're insane. They're <laughs> passionate. They're loyal, which is great. And another funny story, too, my first jersey I ever got was a Mike Bossy jersey. So tell my brother how ironic it is that I'm actually, you know, doing stuff for the Islanders right now because I grew up, I was a bossy fan. I shot right and all my friends shot left. So they love Gretzky. Uh-huh. He's a Titan TPM state six. <laughs> so that's why I like bossy because I shot right like he did. So huh. It's just ironic that, uh, you know, participating in the Islander broadcast. But yeah, the Islander fans have been awesome. Uh, I, I can't say enough good things about, you know, being in the arena, the energy, the excitement. And, and working with Shannon has been awesome. She's a pro. Uh, we have a lot of fun together, which is awesome. Yeah, no, the MSG crew is, is absolutely outstanding. And, and you're making, uh, you know, you're a great addition to it. So, uh, Anson, thank you so much for your time. And uh, I will catch you with the arena very soon. Sounds good. Thank you, Andrew. Anytime. And thank you again to Anson Carter, who is uh, very gracious with his time. Um, fun guy to chat hockey with. Uh, like I said, I, I first met Anson when uh, he got traded to the Rangers. I was covering that team. He wasn't with the Rangers for all that long a time. But it, again, as you heard him say, uh, you know, just a little leery of uh, how he would be received uh, as an Islanders broadcast. And I'm sure he was thinking about, you know, people in New York remember him wearing a, a Rangers jersey, not an Islanders jersey. I thought that was a really cool story at the end that he that he told about uh, uh, Mike Bossy and and wearing his jersey. And, and while we're on the subject, I know uh, so many of us or all of us are, are you know, have Mike Bossy uh, in our thoughts right now and uh, wishing uh, number 22 uh you know, health and, and, and comfort and, uh, you know, thinking of Mike Bossy and his family. Um, and with that, it's time for your questions with Andrew's Answers. 
And we'll start with Connor Hickey, who asks, why hasn't Cal Clutterbuck been put on injured reserve if he is out for the season? It seems like the Islanders could call up someone as a 14th forward or an extra defenseman. And uh, uh, Connor, uh, the, the explanation, and you know, I, I haven't asked Lou Lamarillo this directly, but after the trade deadline, there is no restrictions on the roster. You're not uh, limited to the the twenty three player maximum that you are before the trade deadline, uh, you're you're still beholden to the salary cap. But uh, right now, and this is according to the invaluable capfriendly dot com, the Islanders are you know in projected cap space. They're about two point six million under the uh, salary cap, and certainly. Uh, they could add players if they needed to uh, from Bridgeport. And you've seen them do a couple of uh, emergency recalls, Grant Hutton and uh, goalie Corey Schneider. And uh, by the way, I'm remiss in not talking uh, a little bit about Corey Schneider's uh, feel-good moment uh, beating the Devils uh, in, at, at Prudential Center, where he started for so many years. I'll get to that in one second. Uh, let me just finish out Connor's question. Um, the, each NHL team has four regular recalls, uh, from their AHL affiliate. Um, after the trade deadline, that does not include emergency recalls, which is in case of a, you know, injury only, um, and the reason uh, Cal doesn't need to be put on IR or Scotty Mayfield or uh, just because the, the Islanders don't have to worry about the roster space. They're, they're not worried about uh, staying under the salary cap. And, and honestly, with, with Bridgeport uh, in, in contention for a playoff spot in, in the AHL and, and the AHL is going to be based on the points percentage, uh, there really is no need right now. Uh, from an Islanders sense to uh, to bring up uh, extra players and, and deplete the Bridgeport roster. And uh, there's no need from a, a salary or a roster space uh, uh, standpoint to, to, to have to put Cal Clutterbuck on IR. And uh, again, uh, just back to Corey Schneider uh, uh, for a minute. As you know, I covered the Devils for a couple of seasons and when I was covering that team, Corey Schneider was the unquestioned number one goalie there. Uh, it was my last season. There was right when he started, uh, I believe, uh, dealing with some of the uh, hip and groin injuries that ultimately really sidetracked and, and derailed his career to a uh, to a large extent to where he's you know now living on uh, one year deals from the Islanders and, and essentially uh, an AHL goalie, but. Uh, for Corey to be able to come up and, and get that start at, at Prudential Center and, and to also win, uh, most importantly, was it, it was a it was a great moment for Corey. It was a great moment for his family. He, he, he found out he was starting the night before, the day before. His his wife, his children uh, were were in the stands, and, and also some of his extended family. If you remember. Uh, the story, uh, Corey Schneider's nephew, uh, 
uh, who lived up in, uh, I believe, Massachusetts, perished, perished in a uh, in a house fire. I believe this was uh, during the pandemic. Uh, Corey started a GoFundMe uh, for for his uh, his nephew's family. So uh, uh, parts of that family came down to uh, New Jersey to be into the to be in the stands and watch Corey as well. Um, so it was just really an emotional day for Corey and, uh, and, and for really the entire Schneider family and, and the extended family. And, uh, you know, Corey, who, who was, I, I'll tell you, uh, from a media standpoint, uh, you know, not just a human standpoint, Corey Schneider is a very nice man, uh, a gentleman, but, uh, from a media standpoint, Corey Schneider, win or lose when he was with the Devils, always came out and talked and was always thoughtful in his interviews. And uh, the media certainly appreciated uh, Corey doing that. Um, so Corey was uh, coming out for his postgame interview in Jersey after uh, leading the Islanders to the win. And I, I said to him, you know, hey, Corey, it's good to see you. And, and Corey said back to me, you know, it's good to be seen. And, and I know how much he meant uh, that he meant that, you know, it, it was a great moment for him. And, you know, as we look back on the season and again, you know, one that almost likely, almost certainly will not end in a playoff berth. I, I think that game in, in Jersey and that moment for Corey will go down as one of the cooler moments of the season. Um, Anthony Pisano asks, with all the talk about needing another scorer, who would be the odd man out if we got one? Um, defense is easy, but what forward spot uh, do you think Lou would realistically move and replace? And uh, yeah, I, well, first of all, if you're talking about, and Lou Lamarillo has talked about this, making hockey trades, you're probably trading a forward to get a forward. So, uh, you know... It, I, 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 I certainly want to, wouldn't want to trade Oliver Wallstrom and, uh, uh, you know, Matt Martin or uh, Cal Clutterbuck. You know, I, I don't think they're being traded. Casey, uh, those guys. So really, you know, I, I, I probably look to Anthony Beauvillier as a guy, and I, I've said this on other episodes, as a, uh, a guy other organizations would want, particularly for his speed. Um, and, and the way he can score in bunches, uh, I, I could see that being one of the moves and also that would help salary cap wise if you're fitting someone else in. Um, so, you know, if you're asking me for a forward spot that might be, uh, opened up, I, I could see that, uh, Bo being the one that, that opens up, uh, Again, you know, at this point, you know, Josh Bailey, I, I'm not sure how much trade value he might have in the offseason. Some teams, some teams certainly might value, uh, you know, his veteran acumen and, and all that. But, uh, you know, at $5 million, $5 million plus a season, uh, would you be willing to pull the trigger on that without the Islanders retaining some salary? Not 100% sure of that, but... Uh, you know, if it's not Bo, maybe it's Bailey's spot. But I think the Islanders would have to work harder to open up Bailey's spot. Um, 
Thomas Boyle asks, when do you see Ilya Sorokin returning to the Islanders lineup? And uh, <laughs> any hour now, Thomas. Uh, the Islanders, as I mentioned, with the back-to-back Friday, Saturday, uh, Ilya um, gets one of those two games. Uh, Barry Trotz wasn't tipping his hand, but uh, uh, look, by the time you hear this podcast, I may have already tweeted out that uh, Ilya Sorokin is starting Friday night in Carolina, and if he doesn't, then he's almost certainly starting Saturday night in St. Louis. Will Forthman uh, asks, could you see Johnny Gaudreau be a realistic target as a unrestricted free agent this offseason? And uh, look, I, I think there are a lot of teams that would really like to get Johnny Gaudreau into their lineup, and he, he brings some of that speed, and he brings some of that uh, scoring potential that the Islanders would certainly, you know, like to add to their top six. Now, Johnny Gaudreau with the uh, Calgary Flames is 28. He is coming off a six-year, $40.5 million deal. That's a cap average of $6.75 million. And uh, look, Johnny Gaudreau is not looking for less than $6.75 million. He's probably looking, you know, uh, in the $8 million, $8 million plus range. And uh, then it's just a matter of salary cap gymnastics and can, can the Islanders fit that in? But, you know, could, could I see him being a target? Yeah, he, he brings a lot of what the Islanders need. Uh, again, you have to tell me what the other moves are as to whether this is something that uh, Lou Lamarillo would want to pull the trigger on. But yes, I, I think he could be a huge benefit to this franchise. Um, Brian G., and I believe this is the first of a twin bill from Brian G. in terms of questions. Uh, will the Islanders sign any college free agents? They could use some depth in goal. Uh, goalie Dryden McKay from Minnesota State, and I'm uh, I'm assuming there was a question mark there um, uh, regarding Dryden McKay. And yeah, uh, they they you're right about that, Brian. I, I think the organization could use some uh, depth in goal. Uh, Right now, if you're looking at future potential NHL prospects, you're really looking at uh, Jakub Skorek. Um And I think you need more than that. And, and especially, in, you know, I know we spent a couple of podcasts speculating on Semyon Varlamov's trade value. But regardless of whether he's traded or not, now you're looking at him uh, going into the final season of a four-year uh, $20 million deal. And uh, with, with the likelihood that when that deal ends, unless Semyon is willing to, you know, stay here on a one or two year deal at, at much less than five million per season, uh, you're, you're probably looking at, you know, one way or another next season being Semyon Varlamov's last season with the Islanders. So, yeah, I think goalie depth is uh, something the organization definitely needs to uh, uh Address uh, Dryden McKay is already twenty four year old twenty four years old. Uh, <laughs> just looking at some notes on him, he, it's pretty cool. He was named after uh, uh, Canadians Hall of Famer Ken Dryden. Um, look, I, I'll be very honest. I have uh, nothing even on the radar as to which of these uh, potential college free agents Lou Lamarillo might be in on. Uh, I, I know there were uh, reports that 
uh, Lou was pursuing uh, UMass Amherst's uh, Bobby uh, Trevino um, and uh, from Setauket, but uh, uh, Trevino, uh, eyes only, Trevino, sorry, my bad, uh, trying to read the pronunciation guide. I can spell it at least, but Trevino uh, from Setauket uh, apparently had eyes only for the Rangers, grew up a Rangers fan, you know, you know that whole story. Um, you know, just throwing out some other names, uh, like uh, defenseman, uh, Minnesota State defenseman Jake Livingstone uh, certainly, you know, might be bring some of what the Islanders need in terms of uh, defense depth and, and, and being able to get the puck up ice. Um, uh, let's see, Ben Myers for us, for, uh, forward from Minnesota, you know, uh, uh, highly regarded, but, you know, uh, very few of these undrafted, you know, uh, these college free agents, very few of them actually wind up making the NHL. I know a, a big deal is made every every year at this time about who's going to sign, who's going to sign, who's going to sign. But, uh, you know, I, I, I don't know what the percentages are, but it, it's not a high percentage of these guys who get signed and uh, actually make it to the show. Uh, you know, more of a story is uh, the Islanders uh, a few seasons back signed uh, Mason Yopst out of uh, Ohio State, and uh, I don't think he's played in the NHL yet. He's been with a couple of organizations. The Islanders wound up trading him. Um, again, he, he was a very good college player, and he's he's a pretty decent AHL player, but it, it really is tough to make that, that next step there. Um, and yeah, Brian uh, G also with the next question, could you see Bellows being traded in the offseason in a change of scenery trade, maybe to uh, Anaheim for Max Comtois. Uh, uh, you know, anything's possible. I haven't heard that particularly. And, uh, uh, you know, it, it's really hard to get a gauge on what the Islanders really think of Kiefer Bellows. You, you talk to Barry, he talks about some of the progress Kiefer makes, and then you don't see Kiefer in the lineup for uh, long stretches. So it's really tough to gauge, and I think if it's tough to gauge here, uh, you know, I think it might be tough for other teams or other organizations to kind of gauge uh, where he's really at with his uh, with his development. Uh, he certainly has the pedigree, and he's shown some flashes here and there. Um, I don't think Kiefer Bellows, you know, it's a matter of a, a change of scenery. He's not miserable here. Um, uh, you know, it's just a matter of, uh, whether he is consistent enough or not, uh, to, to work his way into the lineup on a, a full-time basis. Um, Dan asks, seeing the homegrown talent on, on the Islanders, why hasn't former GM Garth Snow been considered for a management position elsewhere? And yeah, you know, Garth Snow is, uh, you don't really hear his name, um, don't have this confirmed, but everyone's belief is that he's still on the Islanders' payroll. I, I don't know how long a deal that he had worked out, and, and this is, I believe, from previous ownership, Charles Wong, um, gave Garth Snow a pretty long deal, and I think Garth is uh, still collecting on that. Um, and, you know, uh, for... I, I, 
I seem to remember Garth being linked somewhat through rumors. I think it was the Minnesota Wild, maybe before or right after Billy Guerin. Uh, probably after Billy Guerin got that job, but uh, I haven't heard much else. But I, 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 I'm pretty sure Garth is pretty comfortable and he's uh, still collecting an Islanders paycheck. Um, Ricky says, does Dano Chara come back in a coaching role next season? <laughs> and it's really funny you ask that, Ricky, because I, I, I literally had that conversation uh, sitting in the stands uh, watching the Islanders pra uh, practice in Carolina. I was sitting uh, next to Kevin Kurz, uh, the Islanders, the fine Islanders reporter uh, for the Athletic, and we were just, you know, chatting about different things, and Zdeno uh, was kind of along the wall near us in a, you know, small practice rink, so you kind of feel like Z is just hovering and towering over you, and Kevin said something about, you know, uh, just... It's remarkable every time you see Zdeno close up like that, you, you kind of gasp at how large he really is, how big he really is. And, you know, that started a conversation between Kevin and I on, on Zdeno Char and his, his worth to the team. And, you know, at one point while we're talking, he went over to Semyon Varlamov. They went over a, a point in practice. Uh, Z was using hand gestures to indicate something. Varlamov was also using hand gestures. And at the end, Zdeno just enveloped Varley in this big bear hug and, you know, gave his goalie mask on top of a few taps, you know, uh, in appreciation. So, yeah. It, it, the, I guess I'm making a short question into a long answer. Um, yes, I can see him coming back into a coaching role, and it was funny because after we see that exchange, I turned to Kevin, and I was like, you know, if Zdeno doesn't play next season, if he can't find a team that, you know, is willing to play him in a top-six role, do you see, you know, do you see Zdeno? Exact same question. I, you know, I could see Zdeno uh, just transitioning into being an assistant coach with the Islanders. And Kevin agreed with me. He said a hundred percent. Yeah, yeah, he could see him in that role. Now, the unknown, as Kevin and I were discussing, is we have, you know, because Zdeno does not open up to the media much, we, we, we have no idea you know, what his family is thinking, whether they want to settle on Long Island, whether they are willing after his long playing career to get into the even more transient life uh, of being a, a coach's family member. Um, I, I think those are, you know, huge factors um, and one that we haven't discussed with Zdeno. But do I think he could do it? Does he have potential as an NHL coach? I absolutely do. I think he would be a wonderful coach. Uh, much like I, I think Johnny Boychuk would be a fantastic NHL coach. But then again, like I said, it's up to those guys. You know, do they want, you know, do they want to put their families through that, basically? Um, I got a hometown question here. Uh, at Newsday Sports uh, wants to know, what's your Mount Rushmore of current hockey arenas in the NHL? And I'll be honest with you, I am going to take out uh, UBS Arena, which I am very happy to be covering games at. I, I, I like the setup there. I think it's a really good place to watch hockey games. I'm going to take out uh, Madison Square Garden, 
Um, you know, I, I grew up in Manhattan. That's sort of an arena that I grew up in more so not necessarily seeing Ranger games be, you know, I've told this story when I was a kid, my dad could never get tickets, uh, for Ranger games, which is why I wound up at Madison Square Garden, uh, seeing WHA games, uh, when they were played there, the New York Raiders. And, you know, if you see me on the streets, I, I wear a New York Raiders, uh, <laughs> t-shirt from time to time. Um, so I'm going to take the garden out of it. You know, I, I've been there for so many concerts and, uh, used to go there every Saturday night to see the Knicks and, you know, really felt like I grew up in that building. Obviously Nassau Coliseum is no longer in the NHL. It, it was one of the most unique experiences, not just NHL wise, but across any sport, uh, to still be able to cover a game in, in that kind of, uh, setting. Uh, I'll take that out. Uh, not that I would have included it, but I'll take, you know, I, I won't consider the Prudential Center. So I'm eliminating the hometown uh, uh, places. What, what I came up with was uh, uh, Montreal's Bell Center, and I would have the Bell Center in the Mount Rushmore uh, regardless of whether, you know, I was considering Madison Square Garden or UBS Arena. I just, uh, to me, you know, and they, they transferred the energy from the Montreal Forum so well. It's just a, a, a fun place to see a hockey game. You, you feel the history, whether you're a Canadians fan or not. You feel a connection to hockey and, uh, you know, the, the fans are smart. They know the game, blah, 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 all of that. So Bell Center is a no-brainer. And then uh, one of my favorite places is the XL Energy Center uh, in St. Paul, Minnesota. The bowl and the seating and the sight lines are nice. Um, but really, what, what, I, what stands out to me about the XL Energy Center is how they've turned it into a showcase. You know, they call Minnesota the state of hockey. They, 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 they've turned it into a showcase uh, for Minnesota hockey and for USA hockey, really. And, uh, you know, I think they were the first place to really string up all the high school jerseys all around uh, the concourses. And uh, they have exhibits like you would go to a museum or, uh, you know, an exhibit in a library or something uh, curated. Uh, I think I've told this story. Uh, the island, uh, the, the Wild were the the first team to really have a historian curator on staff when they came into the league in uh, 2000, I believe. And uh, I, I happen to know the man well. Uh, I, I, he used to live in New York. Roger Godin um, just does a marvelous job with all the different exhibits around the arena. So I always look forward to going to the XL Energy Center to see what Roger has uh, in out there. And then uh, the T-Mobile Center in Vegas has quickly become one of my favorite places to go. If you've been to Las Vegas, you know what Las Vegas is like. And the best way I can describe it is they have filtered down the Las Vegas experience into the best parts in a hockey arena. And it's just, it's just fun there. It really is. And I don't think it would work anywhere else, but you know, you got the the Golden Knight clashing swords at center ice and, and the glitz and all that. And it, it just works so well out there. And the fourth place, you know, I, I mentioned, you know, what a unique experience uh, Nassau Coliseum was. And I, I'll never, 
uh, you know, as long as I'm around, I will never forget being in Nassau Coliseum for hockey games. Uh, it didn't matter what game. Uh, it, it just was so different. Um, and, and for that reason, I'm going to mention the, uh, uh, the Saddle Dome up in Calgary, and we'll see how many more years that building is in the league. It, it's not quite the same experience as Nassau Coliseum, but it's the closest thing this league has now. Um, and just, you know, I, I'm privileged because I, I'm, I'm in this job, so I'm up in the press box. The ability to walk out onto that catwalk uh, and just watch pregame warm-ups from over center ice is, is as unique an experience as you can get in the league. So uh, if I, right now, if I had to give you a Mount Rushmore, I'd go Bell Center, XL Energy Center, T-Mobile Center, and Saddle Dome. And let's see, um, Scott says, what should be Lou Lamarillo's biggest acquisition going into the offseason? For me, it's still a scorer. I can't believe I still have to say that after four seasons. Um, well, I'll tell you what, Scott, uh, and you heard the, the conversation I had with Anson Carter. I, I, I'm going to agree with, with Anson that uh, a puck moving defenseman uh, probably trumps that. Um Cordup says, uh, when talking about the schedule and the COVID-19 issues earlier in the season, uh, no excuses comes up frequently. Is it reasonable to excuse the team's early season performance over compared to everything from the All-Star break to now? Uh, I don't know if you excuse the team's early season performance because, uh, look, the, the, the season went backwards. Uh, it was... Uh, they just won, I think, what, uh, they, they had won in Montreal, and then they went up to Winnipeg, and they won 2 nothing. I think that was November 5th or so, and then they played in Minnesota, I believe it was the next night, uh, November 6th, uh, right around there, um, and they were winning in the third period, and they wound up losing that game, and then they that started an 0-8-3 slide, and then you had the COVID outbreaks, so... Uh, I, I don't think you uh, you excuse the team's early season performance, but I think you understand some of why it did go sideways. Some of it was performance, um, but at times the Islanders didn't have a chance when they were essentially fielding, you know, 50% of an AHL roster. And uh, so that's it for Andrew's answers and your questions. I thank you all so much for submitting them. I thank you uh, for listening to episode 132 of Newsday's Island Ice podcast. Till the next episode, happy hockey, everybody.